where we're going, we don't need roads. Carpe diem, seize the day, boys. Just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. Good morning, Vietnam! I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore! They call it a royale with cheese. I have always depended on the kindness of strangers. You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Shaken, not stirred. They called me Mr. Tibbs. I'll have what she's having. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You make me want to be a better man. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Go ahead. Make my day. You can't handle the truth. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. May the force be with you. To infinity and beyond. They're here. Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Yes, we are, because this is the greatest movie of all time podcast. Uh, hold on. Welcome to the greatest movie of all time podcast. This is Tom Duncan. And this is Dana Duncan. Tonight we're discussing the 1976 movie Rocky. Uh, kicked off the Rocky Balboa franchise. Um, just uh, the quick notes coming to this. Uh, I remember kind of the first uh, approach I had to this movie. If you remember back, um, probably this would have been about uh, 2005. They had a um, release of uh, several of the all. Well, in fact, they had a marathon of all five of the movies that are recorded on our TiVo way back in the day. Uh, maybe it was 2004. Um, with host Burt Reynolds on ESPN Classic showing all five of the Rocky films. Never had seen any of them, um, decided that I would try and watch them. And uh, so that was kind of my first foray into this environment. Um, what was your original experience with these movies? Well, I didn't realize there was anything after Rocky 1. There were these other movies that said Rocky in the title, but they were nowhere near the same quality. Eh, I all right. I'll have a little bit of a bone to pick with that afterward. Where um, you know, I I think if we were to go on and move toward other things, just that um, there are other movies that could be discussed. Uh, your opinion and mine is fairly controversial by comparison to um, uh, the popular opinion on something like Rocky Four, and I think universally everybody hates Rocky Five. But even some of the more modern versions with uh, Rocky Balboa and then subsequently the two Creed movies um, have kind of brought bought, bleh, brought this uh, back into the forefront. So um, just uh, overviewing it generally, I mean, this movie is clearly going to have a you know higher legacy score. Um, just from the standpoint of the, the, the franchise is long lasting. It's got uh, eight different movies. If you d count the Creed movies as being in total part of this, given that the Balboa character does appear in them, if at minimum it's six films long. So um, 
Yes. They just got done doing a TV commercial showing the scene from being on top of the Philadelphia Arts Center just this year. So it's so far into the lexicon and into the culture that it's like... It's by far the most um, famous Philadelphia movie. Um, and, you know, as part of that whole thing, the fact that they that it's mixed so much into the culture of um, Philadelphia and that they have the statue parked next to the art museum steps and people are constantly running up those, um, like the f- famous scene from... Um, more Rocky two, frankly, than Rocky one. Um, the Rocky one scene doesn't really even make a whole lot of sense in the way that it's even depicted. Um, two was a much better scene where they randomly got all of the kids to join in at the end of it. And they're all running with Rocky in order to make it up the steps. And they have this mob scene at the end of it, which is kind of cool. Um, and it just happened to work out that way that they were filming and the kids started running along with the movie, it was not actually planned as part of that. So I, you know, I think that that lives a little bit more. And frankly, I think if you ask the average Rocky fan, they probably remember Rocky two a lot more than they remember Rocky one. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're going to play the devil's advocate role the whole time we're recording this or what exactly? Cause like, you know, I'm somewhat of a fan and you seem to be almost like deliciously uh, giddy at trying to poke fun at this whole thing. Uh, Stallone played this like you wouldn't believe, and it was more about the money than it was about the art. And, you know, between, between the multiple Rockies and see if how many different ways we can rewrite and continue on to, to milk this concept. He then comes up with the whole Rambo and does that multiple times and milks that because every other movie he ever tried to do failed. Well, I mean, it does launch one of the great film careers, I guess, if you could say even that of a Hollywood legend of sorts in Stallone by doing this, you know, as uh, him getting the entire writing credit and um, demanding to be the lead actor in this film when it got sold. Okay, yes, but let's put it this way. Name one other film that Stallone's done that has any redeeming quality that anybody remembers other than Rock, the Rocky films and Rambo. Well, I think there were a lot of people that enjoyed, um, uh, oh, what is that, the in Unbreakables, in, you know, whatever that other action movie was from about 10 years ago. But the sequels yes, to that were all bad. Yeah. yeah. With all the old guys. The old action starts. And also, I think Stallone was in Predator. So, I mean, there is that. I don't remember that. He did some movie. He was in a He's world done some cameo roles. and it was a movie about playing soccer so they could escape, and it had Pele in it. I remember that film, okay. and I know he did one where he played a stand-up comic, and I can't remember if it was with Dolly Parton or who else or who it was, but there isn't a whole lot of of. Uh, redeeming movie quality here outside of the original Rocky. Well, 
okay, fine. I, I, I disagree, but oh well. Uh, just for the background and context, um, the movie uh, context or summary, uh, a small-time boxer gets a supremely rare chance to fight a heavyweight champion in a bout in which he strives to go the distance for his self-respect. Um, this movie is based on uh, an actual event of some variety, um, well, loosely based at least. Uh, Stallone um, saw a fight uh, going back between Muhammad Ali and a relatively unknown challenger uh, at the time, there's a, a great ESPN 30 for 30 on it. Um, the real Rocky that uh, um, was done. A uh, guy who was a relative unknown took Muhammad Ali at the height of his uh, powers to the full distance of the 15 rounds and earned a lot of uh, people's respect for taking it that far. Um, so uh, additionally, um, you know, this... But uh, I think we were mentioning just before we kind of got on... This is kind of that first um, of the boxing movies, you know, and realistically, as far as sports movies goes, this is the uh, or boxing is the only one that seems to resonate um, particularly with uh, any type of award recognition or anything else. Yes, I know. And that does seem to be the case, uh, which is kind of surprising. Boxing movies got into the heyday about the time boxing as a sport started its decline. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily true, because uh, although I didn't follow it as much, but the heavyweight division took a dip in kind of the 80s until Mike Tyson, um, from at least what I understand. And then after Tyson, it kind of fell, yeah, it, it kind of fell apart after that. Well... Again, I not to mix a little bit, I think it continued on with Holyfield for a little bit and then even Lennox Lewis. But then when Lewis uh, unexpectedly retired um, in the early 2000s, you know, you had a bunch of uh, people that didn't resonate with a um, major audience as far as that went. And so, you know, we've had to live on with the Floyd Mayweathers or the Pacquiao's that haven't had the same draw as uh, even some of that. Now, um, as far as this, I... I think even in talking about it now, I'm going to bump up my um, potential legacy score just in talking about it, just because it has so many um, resonating effects through pop culture and, you know, the character and being a, such a big franchise and all of the other things. I don't know if that's more of a branding of this movie, um, but I think I'm going to give it about an eight for the legacy score. I'd actually go nine, simply because you can talk to anybody and ask rock or mention say the word Rocky, and everybody in this, even people who have no uh, interest in boxing or in sports in general, are familiar with Rocky and the movie. Okay, I can be argued into a nine, and I think I can go with that. And likewise, you know, just. Moving on to the next category for novelty, you know, being the first of these preeminent well, boxing movies. Go ahead. You have what about the director's filmography? I mean, this uh, John uh, Averilson only did this and The Karate Kid with any recognition. A lot of his movies were very low budget, not high, highly regarded films. Well, and this was kind of a low-budget film, too, so I can't even say so much as that. 
It just it happened to hit on the cultural lexicon and got bigger as time went on. Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, as far as the novelty aspect of it, um, and I think it does weigh heavily on it being the first. I mean, how many different films haven't tried to play on this trope? Uh, Cinderella Man, The Fighter, um, Raging Bull even to an extent. You know, uh, Raging Bull is a very different movie, but it still plays on a lot of the same boxing tropes. It's just in a very different regard. Um, but, uh, you know, the kind of underdog story that is almost permeating throughout any type of sports movie anymore. Yeah, I guess, yeah. One thing that I wanted to say, I guess more this goes into the novelty. You know, the way I remembered the film from years ago when I first watched it was it was a story of some guy, um, you know, overcoming from nowhere and and trying to no, that's not this under complete underdog story. It is a story about people who are have abilities and talents, but who do not utilize them in part because people put them down. The fact that Burgess Meredith in the scene where he takes away his locker says, you, you had talent, but you became a bone uh, uh, breaker. And, uh, you know, that. And then the scene where where uh, Shel- or, uh, Talia Shire is going, you told me I was worthless to Polly. Um, <clears throat> that's really what it is. Both of these people had things, but they gave up. They didn't try to utilize the talents or the abilities or the gifts they had. It was because of circumstances, they just gave up and never tried to do anything with them. And that's what the story is about. Um. Uh, yes, also, but I could uh, uh, make an argument that, um, you know, similarly, um, he's a product of his environment very much so. And it kind of has it, – it's the sports movie version of kind of on the waterfront, you know, I, it, famously that he could have been a boxing contender. But um, this actually – he's given an opportunity to rise above his circumstances this one golden ticket and he just has to try and take advantage of it um now miraculously in the rest of the franchise he kind of does to almost comedic levels by you know rising to superstardom level where coming from nowhere um where you know if the way i kind of felt watching this and then thinking of his trajectory through the whole franchise kind of reminds me of um the diehard franchise uh, and the way um, Steve Carell's character from The Office kind of describes it in one of the episodes, which is, you know, um, Bruce Willis's character in the original Die Hard's this um, cop who happens to just show up at a Christmas party and then take down a whole bunch of terrorists. And the whole shtick of the film is that he's nobody and he's just a <laughs> bumbling cop who happens to just keep. Um, plugging along and um, makes it well 
And by the fourth film, he's like jumping a motorcycle into a helicopter and he's doing all these ridiculous stunts and they just keep getting bigger and bigger and you don't understand where the hell they're coming from and it's lost its essence. Kind of the way that the trajectory of these films went is, is, you know, Rocky's this guy from the docks who is part of organized crime loosely because he's become an enforcer because he has really no other way to make any money. He's in a very desperate and poor situation, one in which I can't understand or even relate to being from a middle-class background and upbringing, Um, and he has to figure out how to survive, and then he's given this golden opportunity. Well, as the films progress, he somehow not only is that, but like, you know, he's fighting for the uh, American pride during the Cold War and potentially ending the Cold War or... Um, you know, all of these other ridiculous stunts. Um, and it, it just kind of takes the trajectory of the character. But that being said, it still started in that same place of um, this nobody gets an opportunity that he would never otherwise have except for just the absolute um, luck of circumstance. And thus he uses this his one opportunity to try and find himself in a better place. Yeah, well, I guess if you want to go that way, I do agree that these movies got more and more off base. And I guess that's part of my problem was, um, you know, I mean, I went to the movie theater and I watched Rocky 2. I watched Rocky 3. By the time Rocky 4 came up and there's the final scene where uh, the guy – or, you know, the the guy who's supposed to be Gorbachev is up in the stands clapping along with Rocky. You know, if I could change, you can change. And I just went and said, I'm done with this crud. Yeah, but you and I are, you know, against the counterculture of the, like, 80s, um, you know, uh, Cold War Reaganism backlash. You and I both, and this will eventually come up, but, like, we just recently watched Top Gun, and we'll have to watch it again for our review, but, um, and we're just so rolling our eyes at almost every bad 80s part of it, and, you know, you're not, as much as you'd like to think that you are, you are not a child of the 80s. You are about as anti-80s as they come. Well, I, I spent my entire, uh, high school and college years being a critic of the culture of the 80s. Yeah, and you're still a product of that. You're just kind of a cantankerous counteraction. So anyway, as far as novelty, I had a nine on this. Um, I can go probably on an eight if if necessary, but I still think it's a rather novel concept, even if um, in rewatching it, the uh, you know, some of that has waned in years. I think it's a more of an eight because simply because the novelty, the story itself, the underlying story is not that novel. The setting is, you know, yeah. putting it as a boxer is, but the, you know, coming from nowhere, you know, little guy against the big guy that that's been around since David and Goliath. Well, right. You know, and I, I there is some biblical nature, and frankly, you know, even um, most of our uh, tropes of fantasy and otherwise have 
um, basis and things that came before it. So, you know, the fact that you're um, borrowing off of biblical terms or something familiar, you know, is not uncommon, let alone unheard of. So, um, you know, the impact and significance for me is another one where it's probably pretty high. Um, I, I still think that it has... I'm not going to go as high uh, as I did on the novelty or the legacy, but I still think that this one would have around a seven just because of, you know, the, the sports movie culture and, you know, how much people still cling to this franchise. All right. I'll agree. Okay. So we'll just run past that one quick then. Um, so uh, the um, rewatchability for me, I have a difficult time um, seeing this one as rewatchable as like um, Rocky 2 and Rocky 3, just because there's more of the feel goods from like 2 with um, him coming back after Adrian's sick and, um, you know, he actually beats out uh, Creed in 2 and, um, you know, in Rocky 3 he has this whole comeback thing uh, after he gets trained by Apollo and you know all of that stuff and this one it kind of lagged um you know it's not a terribly long film um you know anything under two hours anymore is um pretty uh extraordinary i mean you're you're getting bond films that are going to be nearing three hours long um you know but uh the fact that you could get this into a tight you know hour 50 basically and um uh, but it still had these moments where um, it just seemed kind of filler that, you know, whereas some of the other movies had more of the like training montages and um, had a little bit more action going on. Um, several of the other ones have, you know, multiple fights, you know, Rocky three, Rocky four, Rocky five have multiple fights going on during the course of the film. You know, I mentioned this to you and you were, uh, saying when we were watching it the other night that, you know, there was a half hour left and they had a lot of stuff to get done. Well, the fight itself is only like 10 minutes of the film. You know, the fight has very little to do with the overall story of the film. And so it's just, it's not as rewatchable as some of the other ones, at least for me. I would, I would tend to agree. It does seem to move slowly at times. So I actually put this very low on that that scale. You know, I you watch it because it's the first one. It's part of the overall franchise. There's nothing particularly wrong with it, but I put it at a four. Yeah, uh, maybe a little bit higher, but probably not okay. much. Well, where would you stand on that? 4.5. All right, I can buy that. So um, that puts us at classicness. Um, you know, the the few parts that kind of stand out to you um, are the noticeable differences in the, you know, 1976 to 2020 um, and the changes of that. There is a kind of uncomfortable scene watching it through a post-Me Too lens where, you know, he's kind of, well, come on up and, you know oh, you don't want to leave standing out here. And she keeps telling him no, and he keeps fighting through it. And, 
Um, he's kind of obstinate. And then it just completely turns at, at this like 180 degree corner where, oh, I'm like committed to you and we're so in love and everything else. Um, after being basically petrified to go in your apartment or sit on your couch and, you know, you kind of forcibly or he forces himself on her at, you know, in order to get their first kiss. But now it, we're supposed to believe that this is like an endurable uh, romance. And it's it's just it screams to me 1970s values that didn't age well. <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, and I'm sorry, there is a certain aspect. I, I, I find it hard to believe that people of now of the, the current age would be willing to live in an apartment that was like Rockies. Oh, God, uh, no. Like, I mean, you know, you, know I, even, you could be dirt poor and you would still, there's no way I'd live in that dump. Yeah. You'd be living out of your car before you'd live out of that. I mean, you know, the knives in the wall and um, the random clippings all over the place and um, just uh, everything's like torn up and falling apart. It's just it looks like it's in complete disrepair and decay. Uh, you know, I kind of laughed because when Burgess Meredith is there and he goes, yeah, yeah, nice place. And I'm like, what the hell do you live in? <laughs> well, I mean, you've seen his gym and not only the look of him. So like that, that has to give you some uh, clue as to the rest of it. I mean, this was incredibly low budget and low production. You can tell just from the subsequent films that they, you know, drastically improve on the, the overall budgeting um, just by the look of everything and how they were shot and uh, some of the other stuff that goes on. But like, you know the doo-wop groups uh, singing over a burning trash can. You know, it's an indelible part of this movie, but, you know, how many people are, let alone standing outside on an average evening anymore um, with the kind of, like, agoraphobic culture that we've created for ourselves um, and doesn't have a phone, doesn't have a TV, um, you know, is just kind of there, and his only real, like, family are either the guys off of the street or um you know his two turtles and his goldfish like okay cool and you know he picks up and the only woman he's interested in is like the only woman you see through the course of the film other than the uh girl that he tries to like um be kind of fatherly to for like three minutes of the movie but is the pet shop girl who is like a block away from uh, the gym he goes to to work out so that he can get his face beat in so he can survive. You know, it's just, it's very limited in his scope of his world. Yes. So I, there, there are significant portions to me that just did not or like age well, particularly with this. And, you know, being the first big boxing film, the fact that you didn't have a longer and more engaged fight sequence, um, you know, the audio and the rest of it uh, are pretty bad, even by comparison to like Rocky II, where they really dragged out the fight and made it um, extra dramatic and all of that other stuff. Um, 
you know, some of that stuff you would think in a modern setting, this movie would be much more played out, much more dramatic. And you're just not getting that here. Yes. I mean, the the scenes in Philadelphia, if it wasn't Philadelphia, if it, instead of if it was like New York, you'd be expecting David Berkowitz to pop out as son of Sam at any moment in time, because that was the feel for it. The uh, complete decline of the American city. Yeah. And, you know, frankly, this could have been done in uh, Philadelphia or Detroit or, you know, Chicago, and it would have had about the same feel. It's just yes. kind of this destitute whiteness. So, you know, from that being said, I would have to give its classicness probably about a five. Yes. I'll agree. All right. So just uh, as a matter of, uh, you know, how it's going, um, this has the lowest audience score by far of any of the movies we've reviewed so far. I know it's only the third one, but uh, it has a 69% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes from the audience score. The um, regular score for the critic score is actually a, a 94. So, and again, this goes back. I remember um, like ESPN was uh, discussing this on their morning show probably like two years ago. And the fact that, um, the famous uh, father and son who happens to be on their morning show were discussing it as like the father's, oh, this is one of these great classic sports movies. And the son's like, yeah, it was kind of boring. And <laughs> that's what you get is, you know, you have especially millennials or anybody that's like 40 or under, you know, they're used to the fast and furious culture, um, you know, the giant explosions and the, the constant action and the rest of it, you have to do some stuff to hold their attention. And this movie just kind of drags in some spots. Well, it, when you compare the the uh, CG and all of the things, I mean, it's kind of like watching the original or what is it? Star Wars 4 and comparing it to anything more modern. Because oh, Because sure. it's just, it's quaint. But oh, I know. But people... Growing up at the time it was released, you know, it was, was quite revolutionary. But um, well, and that's that's one of the films that I've kind of used as a barometer point for a lot of the things that we're eventually going to be covering. You know, the novelty of Star Wars at the time of 1977 is, you know, extremely <laughs> high. It was the first real movie of its kind. It wasn't the first space movie, but it was the first space <laughs> fantasy action movie, you know, and it's legacy like. That movie for kids of that generation and seeing that for the first time had an indelible mark on them, you know, in their filmography or their film history watching. And they always go back to that because it's their most memorable um, movie watching experience. You know, it's it's very simple, simply that. But you're not going to get the same thing when you're watching um, it now by comparison to even like, you know, what everybody universally almost has considered Star Wars 9 to be terrible. So um, now I'm going to circle back. I have an argument with kind of how we've been doing the recognition portion of things so far. So I'm going to kind of circle back to that. But what we're going to do, we're just going to kind of run through some of the um, 
other best categories before we get back to the voting portion of that. So best performance for me, I mean, it's it's a pretty easy one on this one. It's Sly. Um, I mean, he wrote and created the film. He created the entirety of the character. He is the indelible mark of this piece. For me, it's quite a performance. Mm, I'll agree. I mean, you know, there are other people in this movie, but just from the standpoint of getting it correct or um, um, created and, um, you know, to the point that it was and what it's become, it, it for me, it's just him. So, um, Beth, scene? Mm, um. Also, just letting you know that uh, you do have a mute button in case you do need to sneeze. You just click on that microphone button. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm more or less doing that just in case the audience overhears you still being sick after a week. Well, I'm slowly getting better, but anyway. But yeah, best scene for you. Um I think it's the scene where he's walking along and he goes to the stadium and he sees what's going on. And he realizes that he really doesn't have a chance to win. He's just going to do the best he can. And that's what all he, he's going to give it is all. I think that kind of, to me, is a memorable moment. Well, the indelible moment's a different category, but I, I can accept that for scene. Um, to me... <sighs> The, the fight sequence has to be one of the uh, bigger moments because, I mean, everything in the film kind of led up to that. Um, I don't think that there's any particular huge moment outside of that in this movie. You know, not in the same way that even, uh, and I guess I keep comparing this, but, you know, Rocky II has so many different um, bigger moments, it seems like, just because they had... Um, kind of the makeup or what they were trying to do was um, make it more dramatic and more of a like sports epic as a, compared to this, which was just the story of this ordinary guy. So, you know, I think um, him in the, um, or doing um, punching bag practice on like those beef ribs could be one. Um, I, but I, I certainly, just because it kind of is the summation of the film, would have to agree with your nomination on that. Um, you know, him and then coming back and then talking about, you know, where he is on the film. And we're kind of leaking into best lines um, kind of at the end of that. Um, you know, with Adrian there and um, uh, let me see if I can find the exact line. Um Oh, let's see here. Well, see, here's the problem is, is the one I looked up. Now it's got stuff from all over. But yeah, anyway, basically, you know, I don't want to um, or I can't beat him, but I can go the distance and earn my self-respect, essentially. Um, that being, um you know what it what it ends up being is the summation line of the, the entire movie, basically. Yes. 
So, all right. Um, we'll get into best lines quick. I don't think this one has um, as many of the like indelible lines as some of the other ones, but uh, um, let me see. And I even. Yeah, even that one's from, like, Rocky Six. I don't know why I didn't have a better version of this earlier, but... I like the Burgess Meredith line, eat thunder, crap... Th- or, I mean, eat lightning and crap thunder. Yeah, but that's from uh, Rocky Two. No, it was from this. I don't know about yes, that it one. Was. I, I, okay. I mean... You know, there are a couple of them, you know, women, uh, weakened knees um, or legs, um, you know, rock or Rocky. It's a living. It's a waste of life. Um, I'll be here waiting for you. How about I stay here and you fight? Um, you know, yeah. why do you want to fu- The other one that's kind of indelible to this whole thing is, is why do you want to fight? Because I can't sing or dance. You know, that's kind of just the essence of I got to figure out something that's talent or that I have as a talent that helps me make a living and survive in in the overall. So um, indelible moments, you know, either the end of the fight where he's just trying to find Adrian or um, him at the top of the steps. I mean, to me, that those are easily the top two nominees. Yes, um, him screaming Adrian, Adrian, over and over, and then, or being at the top of the steps, either one. Yeah, so, I mean, those are pretty easy. I mean, this is kind of, those are the cultural lexicon pieces, or even just kind of the training montage going into that um, running sequence where, um, you know, He's doing all the one-handed push-ups and, you know, all the the speed bag stuff. It kind of leads into all of the other ones where uh, he kind of goes into that, um, you know, they're playing Gonna Fly now, and he does the uh, training montage, and he's ready for the fight type of thing, you know. And I, I still, it still kind of pumps you up regardless of who you are, just watching the whole thing. I don't know. They hit absolute gold with that one, but so... um. All right, that'll move it into the recognition part. So I'm going to give you a choice. Do you want me to make my um, argument against how we've been doing recognition so far, or do you want to discuss the recognition category itself? I'll make your pitch so I can tell you how wrong you are. Okay, so the recognition portion I have uh, an issue with in this one is is um, it overly weights the Academy Awards um, as being a deciding some of the points awarded at the time. That it gives it not only a level of um, at that present time, and we tried to weight against it by doing the nominations, but like even now over the last 10, 12 years, they've only now expanded the like best picture race, so you get some of these smaller films. But um, something like North by Northwest that, you know, in a year where you had eight or nine nominees probably would have been done last week. I think it underweights its potential value in that category 
or where you would have said, you know, in hindsight that that should have had, um, you know, maybe a best director nomination by comparison and didn't because the Academy Award had its own agenda at the time. You know, it's going to tend to overweight certain films by comparison. I don't think Wizard of Oz had any um, real nominations at the time of its filming. And so I'm thinking we may have um, devalued some of these overall movies if we're going to do it like this by placing that type of moniker on it. Well, I think we can do it. I just don't know. Maybe the method we have of scoring it. Well, sure. I I just I don't know how to weight it and do the true points without, um, you know, putting it in a a thing. We could uh, do a couple of other trial runs on this. And I guess you and I can discuss it, you know, off air on uh, some of that. But I and we'll continue it for this week. But it's just something that I think we should keep cognizance of. So. Now, one of the other questions we normally ask then in getting back around to the point, you know, the recognition, the Oscars, the Academy Awards, this is the first film we've done where it did actually win Best Picture. So I will ask the question, but it has a different phrasing. Should this have won Best Picture this year or that year? Now, before you answer that question, here are the other nominees that were up for uh, the award that year. Bound for Glory, Taxi Driver, All the President's Men, and Network. And this won out over all of them. Wow. I don't think it's better than All the President's Men, which is an iconic journalism film. And basically, its second coming ended up winning Best Picture in Spotlight a few years ago. Uh, but it kind of has that historical thing and every cable news journalist is kind of raised under that banner Um, network, which at this time, I only saw it a couple of years ago with you, but um, we were talking about how uh, it's no longer uh, satirical. It's not even funny. It's just um, so prescient. It's scary. Um, And taxi drivers, um, iconic in its own right for one of the great uh, performances, Travis Bickle. Um, you know, the fact that you had De Niro up for Taxi Driver, William Holden up for Network, Sly is Rocky, and then um, the winner was still Peter Finch delivering one of the classic performances in Network. Um, you know, I, I just cannot credibly put this movie, especially because I think personally... Rocky 2 is a better version of this movie. I also think the more recent Creed is a better version of this movie um, as the number one that year. I just can't. Okay. So that being said, um, just the rundown of things that it ended up winning or was nominated for, uh, since we count more of the nominations than anything, Burt Young was actually nominated for um, Supporting Actor, as was Burgess Meredith. Neither of them won. It went to Jason Robards for all the uh, President's Men. Um, it won Best Director for John uh, Avidson, or uh, Avildsen. Uh, it must Avildsen. be like a Swedish name or something. Um, Sly was uh, nominated for Best Actor. Best Actress, uh, Talia Shire, was nominated. 
Um, you had uh, uh, screenplay. He was nominated for best screenplay, but did not win. That went to Network for Chayevsky, uh, famously. Um, it was also nominated for. Uh, let me see here. It was actually not on the original score list, which I find uh, in hindsight to be weird. It was nominated for Best Sound, um, Best Original Song. Okay, so that makes sense. It was nominated for Best Original Song, but lost out to um, Barbara Streisand from A Star is Born. Um, oh, and, uh, yeah, person, yeah. Yeah, Evergreen. So... Um, it was not on the list for uh, best art direction or best cinematography. Frankly, the cinematography was not particularly great. It did get best film editing. Um, you know, I don't know that that that's a weird one sometimes to uh, um, be trying to do, but um, just in total. So that makes it uh, one two. Um, Three, four, four technical categories, including writing, um, four actor nominations. That's an additional eight points. Best director is an additional uh, two points for a total of ten. Um, best picture, um, an additional three. So 13 plus the four. T- so 17 total points. I don't think it has was on any of the top 100 lists on any of the ones that we had. So, but just adding in the additional uh, 17 um, and then uh, I'll just quickly, if you want to give some thoughts, I'll add up the total here just so we have it for um, everybody. Well, I, I, I know the, the the talk is is where this will end up, and I can name, <laughs> as you point out, I can tell you right now, I'd rewatch all the President's Men or Network um, five times to one of Rocky, and uh, I think they were better films. So, so I don't. Gonna, this is not going to be in the top. It's a it's a. It's a movie that we should be watch or talking about, but I don't think it's going to be in the top 100. Okay, and that you know that <laughs> was going to be one of the other questions, but um, just based on the recognition factor alone, um, because last week we had like I want to say seven points total for North by Northwest um, out of the recognition category, and because this has a little bit more. Um, this ends up ranking like 14 points ahead of North by Northwest. Just letting you know that. Okay. Um, so I, well, I think maybe, we do need to take yeah, a look at maybe, some of that. We should, maybe we should take the recognition points and cut them in half. Okay. I might be able to do that. Uh, I still think being on one of those top 100 lists should be weighted more. And I thought of even a different way where, um, you know, do you think this is a top 100 film gets even a certain weight of points um, based on that? But then that adds it into kind of the subjective category more than um, we wanted kind of a few uh, objective categories to kind of add to this. But, you know. yeah. Again, we can probably cover that after the fact, but um, so 
Um, outside of that, um, any other major thoughts on the movie itself? Um, no. I mean, I was young. Um, I didn't go to the movies in 76. I was little. I would have been going into seventh grade, so junior high. So I, I watched this film, um, I think, on HBO. Okay. So I know I went to see Rocky II at the theaters, and Rocky III was definitely at the theaters because I think I was in high school at the time and had my driver's license. So, but... Um, um, so this song, this movie does not resonate with me as much, but you know, it, it had a significant impact. Um, my junior high, uh, speech or theater arts teacher had, or was just a huge fan of the movie and would do his Stallone impersonation and, you know, sure. So, I mean, it, so it does have a cultural impact, but. Um, it's just not, it's never been a movie that I've been like, uh, would rank in my top 100 as far as favorites. Well, I mean, there is a difference between favorite and then like significant or something of that nature. And, you know, you, you would have to judge them potentially very difficult or differently. So, um, you know, I have my list of favorites by comparison to, um, uh, you know, what I think are the best. I mean, even I do that even with, like, Star Wars movies. Yeah. So, um, all right, if that's what we have, um, I think I probably, I don't have anything additionally, really, that I, you know, there isn't anything that doesn't particularly make sense in this movie to me. I know that's kind of been coming as a, um, you know, uh, segment in our particular um, piece, but you know, there's nothing, you know, because it's kind of a simple movie um, that yes. uh, I really have any major qualms with or any major plot holes. It's pretty straightforward. It's a short, simple movie, and I think it has some other things that uh, go on for it. But um, so, um, if you don't have anything else, I think we'll just kind of cap it there. Um, and um, I will tell you this uh, upcoming week, just because we kind of had a few of our uh, regular listeners kind of um, cash out on last week's episode because they're not as familiar with it. So we'll try and build a little bit bigger uh, listening audience by doing a few um, other ones. But um, you OK with uh, covering Inglorious Bastards next week? Um, sure. All right. So uh, that's what we're going to cover next week. And uh, outside of that, um, you know, uh, please uh, um, make sure you're uh, subscribed on the podcast so that uh, you get it in your weekly feed. Uh, and uh, um, we will talk to you soon. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. After all, tomorrow is another day. As always, please subscribe, rate, and comment on the show from wherever you get your podcasts. It will help everyone else find the show and share in the fun. 
If you would like to suggest a movie we should review or potentially guest star on one of the episodes, please follow either Dana or I on Twitter uh, at TJ3Duncan or at Dana W. Duncan.